down to Good morning. My name's Lisa Mercer. It's my privilege to share the message with you this morning. You're right. Is it on? It's on. It's green. Is it on? Okay. Thank you. Somebody take a shot. start again. Good morning. My name's Lisa Mercer and it's my privilege to share the message this morning. Let's pray. Thank you Heavenly Father that we can come together in your name to worship you and study your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. I'd like to pose two questions for you to think about if we are children of God and if we are the people of God what are some of our priorities and secondly how can those priorities help us when we face temptations I'll come to those back to that later by the last two decades of the first century AD the early church was was experiencing an identity crisis By the time Matthew wrote his gospel, Jewish believers were being excluded from the synagogue and a large number of Gentiles were becoming believers. New Testament theologians Tom Wright and Michael Bird ask, how does a Messiah believer lay claim to Israelite ancestry when this particular Messiah and his followers have been rejected by the Jews? Or else... What kind of people are we when our God is Israel's God? The Messiah and his apostles were Jewish, but most of our members are now Gentiles. This is where Matthew comes into his element. Matthew sees the identity of the Christian community as authorised by Jewish scriptures, which they find their fulfilment in Jesus, the Messiah, and in this fulfilment, Gentiles come to the God of Israel through Jesus, Israel's Messiah. Messiah believers, whether Jewish or non-Jewish, are legitimate heirs of Israel's heritage and stand at the centre of God's saving purposes. Matthew, in his Gospel, locates Christian identity at the intersection of Jewish heritage and faith in Jesus. What these guys are saying is that we become Christians by our faith in Jesus. But our our identity as the people of God has its foundations in the Old Testament, in the story of the Jewish people. That's why through his gospel, Matthew incorporates a lot of Old Testament references and verses. Back in Matthew chapter 1, we looked at Jesus' family tree. By Matthew tracing Jesus' lineage back to Abraham, Matthew provides evidence that Jesus was part of God's chosen people. Matthew very intentionally shows that Jesus' life and ministry is a continuation of the story of the people of God. 
For the Jewish people, a key narrative was, and continues to be, the Exodus story. It's the Jewish story of God rescuing and saving his people from bondage and bringing his people to the promised land. David Stein, who's a, in his Jewish New Testament commentary, suggests that in Matthew 2-4, Jesus was somehow embodying Israel and reenacting the exodus of the Jewish people. In chapter 2, Jesus' family journeyed out of Egypt. In Matthew 3, God called Jesus, my son whom I love, echoing Exodus 4, where God called Israel his firstborn son. And then when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and nights, Jewish hearers hear echoes of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In today's passage, in the first 11 verses of Matthew 4, Jesus three times quotes from sermons by Moses that we find in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Verse 4 is found in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Verse 7 is found in Deuteronomy 6.16. Verse 10 is found in Deuteronomy 6.13. Except in each case, Jesus only quotes parts of verses. But for Jewish hearers, they knew the context. It's like if I started singing, Australians, oh, let us rejoice. Yeah, you know, you know, you, know, you can finish off my line. But for us as Gentiles, when we're reading Jesus' quotes, we need to work a bit harder to understand what Jesus was getting at. We need to actually read the quotes in their original context. After 40 years wandering the wilderness, the next generation of the people of God was camped on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to cross into the Promised Land. This generation had not experienced the Exodus. And they had not stood at Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the law. Moses reminded them that out of all the peoples of the world, God had chosen them to be his people. God had rescued and brought them out of Egypt by many mighty acts. Through their journey, God continually provided for them. God had given them the law at Mount Sinai or Horeb. God had promised them a land of their own where they would lack nothing. Moses told them that it should have only taken the ancestors seven days to do the trip from Horeb to the Promised Land. But their ancestors had been disobedient. Their ancestors had failed to trust God and their ancestors had kept turning away from God to worship idols. Because of their sin, it took the people of Israel 40 years to journey from Sinai to the edge of the Jordan River. Now, one of the most important words in Deuteronomy is remember. The Israelites were urged to remember where they come from and everything that God had done to save them. Let me revisit my original questions. If we are children of God and if we are the people of God, what are some of our priorities? And how can these priorities help us when we face temptations? Some of the key messages that Moses taught the people were that, firstly, God expects you to listen to, obey and trust his words. 
Secondly, you are God's chosen covenant people and if you obey him, you can trust God to provide for you and protect you. Thirdly, your priority is to live to the glory, honour and worship of the one true God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 11 to 20 is a key passage in this book. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it, what Moses told the people. You have a choice. Either you want a good life with God's blessing or you don't. If you don't want God's blessing, then disobey God's commands, question God's goodness and turn away from God. But if you want God's blessing on yourself and your family, then love the Lord your God. Obey him, trust him and hold fast to him. It's your choice. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. But what does it mean that Jesus was led by the Spirit? Firstly, Jesus was obedient in following God's leading, even though that meant going into a hard and harsh place. Obeying God can be hard. But one place that we can look to understand this phrase is in Paul's letters. Paul uses the phrases, led by the Spirit, walking or living by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. In Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that when we heard the gospel of salvation and believed, God sealed or authenticated our salvation by giving us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In Romans 8, he said that the, says that the gift of the Spirit brings about our sonship. That is, the gift creates our status as children of God. But all, Paul also writes that if we are led by the Spirit, then we are children of God. In Galatians 5, we are told that if we live by the Spirit, we're not under the law. So our choices are not about complying with some slavish list of do's and don'ts. There's a battle that goes on with us, when it's, um, between what we want and what the Spirit of God wants. If we are living by the Spirit, we are to make choices to not gratify the flesh. In Galatians 5, he uses the picture of a military marching formation and says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there's a paradox going on here. On one hand, there's God's grace at work in that because, because we're God's children, God indwells and empowers us by his Spirit. On the other hand, there is human responsibility and discipline required to make choices to resist temptation. Paul writes in Romans 8, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living on you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. And if, by the spirit, that's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So, again, God's grace human responsibility. We can't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit unless we are children of God. It's a bit like chicken and egg here. The reality is, though, that we can't be victorious over temptation and sin 
without the power of the Spirit helping us moment by moment to make godly choices and to not gratify the flesh. In Matthew 2, um, 4 verse 2, Matthew gives us a massive understatement. After 40 fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No kidding. I'd be hungry too. After 40 days without food, Jesus probably also had stomach cramps, nausea, fatigue and mental confusion. In verse 3, we read, The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God. If you are. This is insidious, identity-based bullying. Like school playground bullying. Like domestic violence bullying. Targeting someone who in this particular situation was weak and vulnerable. As the divine son of God, Jesus knew that all power in heaven and earth had been given to him. Later in chapter 4, Jesus commenced his earthly ministry. But through his ministry, Jesus made decisions about how he used his divine power. He primarily used his power to work signs and miracles that demonstrated to us that we, he is the Messiah. But in this situation, the accuser was challenging Jesus to use his power and authority to satisfy his own needs. Jesus' response to the temptation comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 10. But if we read this response in context, Jesus' focus wasn't on having food to eat. Here's a couple of verses from that passage. I've just summarised it. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into, into a good land. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. Three times Moses stressed the need for obedience. Even when every ounce of his being was crying out for food and he was in pain, Jesus verbalised that his priority was to obey his father. This wasn't a conversation about bread. It was a battle about who has the authority to give us instructions on how to live our lives. Jesus was telling Satan, you have no authority to tell me how to live my life. It is my father alone that I need to obey. As God's children, we don't have to give, give in to the voices in our heads or the advertisements for Black Friday sales, nor the media, nor politicians, nor social media influences. If you are a child of God, and if we are the people of God, we are to listen to, obey, and trust God's words. Jesus continually prioritised his father's will. He spoke the words his father gave him, 
His bread was to do the will of the one who had sent him. Even when he faced, was facing death, he said, not my will, but yours be done. The Apostle John, both in his gospel and his, in his letters, picks up on how obedience should be just as important for us to believe in Jesus, to love one another, to do what he commands. But just one warning about this passage. Some Bible commentators talk about this temptation being about physical desires. In Jesus' response, Jesus isn't criticising us as human beings for needing food. Jesus affirms that as human beings, we all need to eat. And Jesus taught us to pray and ask God, give us today our daily bread. Jesus also taught that God is a good father who gives good gifts, including bread, to his children. But if we want to really live, we also need God's words. If you are a child of God, and if we are the people of God, we are to listen to, obey, and trust God's words. Excuse me. The second temptation is found in Matthew chapter 4, 5 and 6. We read, Then the temple, and devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The accuser has transported Jesus to Jerusalem up to the highest point of the temple. Now, the accuser is referencing Psalm 91 to imply that if Jesus is divine, Jesus could jump off the temple and God won't let him get hurt. But Psalm 91 is a psalm that starts with the words, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It is a psalm about God's care and protection of those who trust in God, particularly in the face of persecution and attack. It's a reminder that even when life is tough and God seems to be taking his time answering our prayers and we're tempted to think that God doesn't care or isn't listening, to not lose our faith. What this psalm is not is a fail-safe promise that God will protect people who recklessly jump off buildings. Jesus' response to the accuser is, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In the original context in Deuteronomy 6.16, the quote is, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. In Exodus 16, the people had complained that the manna that God provided wasn't as good as the food they'd had in Egypt. Then in Exodus 17, when they got to Massa, they were thirsty and they complained that because Moses had brought them out of Egypt, they were all going to die of thirst. They also questioned, is the Lord among us or not? Now, there should have been no question that God was with them and was going before them. They had a pillar of cloud going before them by day. They had a pillar of fire going before them by night. 
There should have been no question that God was powerful. They'd seen God rescue them from Egypt by mighty acts. There should have been no question that God could and would provide for the people of God in the wilderness. God had fed them by manna day after day. But at Massa, they questioned God's presence, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and that God would provide for them and protect them. And in Hebrews 3, we're told that this was the reason why a whole generation of people didn't get to go into the promised land. If you are a child of God, and if we are the people of God, we are chosen by him and dearly loved. So we can trust God to provide for us and protect us. This does not mean we will not get sick. It doesn't mean we won't have opposition or tough times. It doesn't mean that we will not suffer from depression or chronic fatigue or any other chronic illness. Even when Jesus was really hungry and great pain, he did not have, need to have proof that his father loved him. God had told him, this is my son whom I love. In John 3 we read, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. In Romans 8, Paul reminds us that even in times of trouble, God's love is sure and nothing can separate us from his love. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us, if you need something, ask God for it. God is a good father who provides for us. And in his letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote, don't stress out, pray and talk to God about the situation. If you are a child of God, and if we are the people of God, we are chosen by him and dearly loved. We can trust God to provide for us and protect us. Don't complain. We can ask him for what we need. In Matthew 4, 8 to 10, we read, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Does that sound familiar? Forty years before, Moses had stood at Sinai and taught the people the Ten Commandments. Now he's teaching this message to the next generation of the people of God. If you are a child of God, and if we are the people of God, our priority is to live to the glory, honour and worship of the one true God. The accuser was trying to buy Jesus' worship by offering him all the kings of the world and their splendour. But all that glitters isn't gold. Fame, money and power 
are glamorous and appealing, but they do not have eternal value. In Peter's first letter we read, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has put a call on us individually and corporately to worship the Lord and serve him only. As Jesus was growing up, he learned about his Jewish heritage and the stories of his ancestors. He learned what it meant for him to be part of the people of God. As Jesus entered the wilderness, led by the Spirit, his father's words echoed in his mind. This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. As you go into this week, led by the Spirit, remember these things. As you face different temptations this week, remember these things. If you are a child of God and if we are the people of God, we are led by the Spirit and empowered to have victory over temptation and sin. If you are the child of God and if we are the people of God, we listen to, obey and trust God's words. If you are a child of God and if we are the people of God, we are chosen by him and dearly loved. We can trust God to provide for us and protect us. We can ask God for what we need. If you are a child of God and if we are part of the people of God, our priority is to live to the glory, honour and worship of the one true God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of being your children and being part of your chosen people. Holy Spirit, strengthen us so that we not only listen to, but obey and trust God's words. Continually remind us that we are chosen and dearly loved, so we can trust you to provide for us and protect us. Strengthen and empower us to resist temptation. Lift our eyes from the ordinary and the mundane to focus on Jesus and to live our lives to the glory, honour and worship of the one true God. In Jesus' name, amen.